Blog Talk Radio. All right, everybody, and after a uh, somewhat elongated delay, uh, Seth and Sports Radio back normal time, eh, I guess 10 minutes late. Uh, Seth came in, Sean Palmer will be calling in shortly. Um, sorry about last week, we only had a half hour. Uh, I was on my way down to Baltimore. And to be honest, there wasn't a heck of a lot going on. We're talking a little bit of Wimbledon, a little bit of European soccer, which I know is everybody's favorite topic, uh, especially Sean's, because the other option, of course, was talking about, um, well, talking about the Knicks. So back, more a little bit more of an interesting week. I know we wanted to talk Jamie Horowitz from Fox Sports, which we, we had discussed a few weeks ago in very, very brief detail, very, very uh, brief, briefly. Um, welcome back, Mr. Palmer. Thank you. Are we not talking about Kim Kleisters? I mean, that was the epitome of sportsmanship at Wimbledon. Were you able to catch that? I have no idea what you're talking about. And are you, are you talking with a pseudo-British accent? Oh, I am. Oh, yes, I am. Anyway, Kim Kleisters. She's, she's Belgian, but she's Belgian, though. So not sure that not sure. You know what? Sure that's she's, bl- she's blonde, she's tall, and she can kick my butt. I'm totally in. It doesn't really so matter she, what, what so nationality she's your, So she's your she dream girl. We Absolutely. So Kim Kleister, we have a call? Wow. Okay, so let's take the call, and we'll go back to Kim Kleister <laughs> in a second. We'll go from there. You're on with Seth and Sean. Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm literally well, just tuning in, literally within one second, so I'm not sure what you're actually talking about, but thanks for getting me on. That's okay. We called in 10 minutes. We, we were joking and called in about eight minutes late because we had some issues with blog talk. So what's going on? <laughs> okay. Not too much. Not not too much. What are you guys What are you guys chat, chatting about now? You literally just just getting the show started. Literally got the show started 15 seconds ago. So <laughs> any topic you had in mind? Uh, are you talking NBA? What are you talking? I don't know. I yeah, we'll, we'll hit on NBA. The, oh. Knicks, the Knicks have a GM. Yeah. Well, I'll, let, I'll let you since you called in just as we started. I'll let you go. Why you, what, what topic you want to hit on? Yeah, we can always talk about what a cluster the New York Knicks are. I mean, that that is that reigns supreme in my neighborhood around July. I mean, the Mets suck. The Islanders haven't survived, signed Tavares. The Jets are in for a one in fifteen season if I'm lucky. So yeah, let let's talk Knicks. I mean, what else could be depressing about Sean's life? So I'm. Uh, well, let's start with uh, this. You got a G. So I'm a. Uh, I'm a Lakers fan, and we've been just as bad as you guys for the last four years. But my best friend is a Knicks fan. He's born and raised in uh, New York. And I just, I mean, I honestly, at this point, I just feel bad for you guys. Like, it's as if the team does things only to mess with their fans. After you guys. Wait a second. Is is this Laker fan that called in during the D'Angelo Russell trade? Is this the same Laker fan? Uh, Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. You're the yes. one that broke the D'Angelo Russell trade to me. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I'm better so, with it now. I'm so, feeling a lot so, better with so it now. So let's take a step back now. You've had time to decompress. <laughs> you've had time to drink a lot of tequila. And you've had time to understand that Timothy Mozgov is no longer on your salary cap. And you now have Lorenzo Ball being your, your point guard. And the guy from Utah State, who I can never pronounce his name, but I did pick in our mock draft. <laughs> as your power forward, along with Julius Randle, 
What is your thoughts now, today, looking at what came out of that draft and what came out of that pick, which you guys got in the lower 20s, compared to the shock of losing D'Angelo Russell and, of course, the lesser shock of losing Timothy Moscow? So I'm going to – I'm going to and I have to eliminate the Kuzma aspect of this because, A, it's Summer League. I do trust Lonzo's hype at, at uh, Summer League because that, I think, was real. Kuzma could fall under the category of, like, someone who is just very hot and hitting threes, although I do think he's, he's a legitimate NBA player, which is all you're really looking for at the 27th pick. I'm going to eliminate that aspect from it because you just never know what you're going to get with the 27th pick, so I'm just going to look at the trade. I think that it makes me hate Jim Buss more than I did. Uh, for signing them in the first place. But I think if you look at... Is that possible? I think think people are going to look at that summer of 2016 and look at it as potentially the worst collection of free agent contracts that have ever been signed. I think if you look at a player like, I don't know, like a Dwayne Dedman or uh, uh, Nerlens Noel, who's on the market right now, those are players that I would say are 10 times the player of uh, Mozgov, and they're struggling to get either a contract or five or six million dollars a year. So the Mozgov contract was horrendous. And I think that here's the situation. I think it's very upsetting that we had to attach a a Russell to it. I think that for a team like the Lakers, who is a legit, who are a legitimate free agent destination when they start to get some players that are actually good. um, I think having a player that is, as good as Russell can be at the contract that they had him at, which was the rookie contract of four to $5 million becomes unbelievably important because if you don't have the Mozgov or Dang Dang contract and you have Lonzo Russell Ingram, and those guys are only taking up $16 million of your calorie uh, of your uh, salary cap, all of a sudden you can clear the rest of the decks and potentially put three max max guys around it. Unfortunately, that wasn't the reality. We had Timothy Mozgov. So, um, as a Laker fan, I did think D'Angelo Russell had a little more value than that. But admittedly, at this point, with the way Lonzo's uh, uh, looking, with the way Kuzma looks, and just with the fact that every other NBA team now doesn't really have um, cap space in the summer of 2018, and all of a sudden here comes the Lakers with what is likely to be, by the time they get rid of Clarkson and probably have to renounce Randall, somewhere around $70 million dollars. I think it looks good. I do wish we hadn't had to trade Russell. I definitely, I think on paper that trade looked terrible and you, you broke it to me on the spot. So I wasn't excited, but um, I'm feeling much better about it now, especially because I just, I really enjoyed watching Lonzo ball during, during summer league. Like I don't want to overreact yep. to summer league, but like he was, he's just so different. Like it's such a different experience to watch him play basketball. And Agreed. Like, now, now to be now, think, to be fair, Seth, if you can definitely back me up on this. This was my assertion two weeks ago when the Knicks had nobody on their cap, right? I said these trades yeah. are going to look, these signings are going to look bad. The Knicks are going to be able to have their their way in a couple of years because they will be able to take advantage of all these teams that have no cap. Blah 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 blah. Tim Hardaway. <laughs> yeah, that, that, it's it's exactly what you had said, and it's what exactly what the Nets have done. Um, they have, you know, they 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 made a similar deal um, to get to Mari Carroll in regards to they took on they needed to take on the salary, but they acquired draft picks, and it's why every and I am not a Knicks fan, as Sean knows, 
so to me, I've had great satisfaction in watching this over the last 15 years. And to see what Phil Jackson, you know, did when it was all said and done. Now, as you said, the Lakers are going to have $50, $60 million, whatever it is, in, in, most likely in cap room for a year where you're going to have Russell Westbrook. You're going to have probably Carmelo Anthony. You're going to have Paul George. You're going to have LeBron James. You're going to have an enormous amount of free leverage. agents that are leverage, yes, that, who want to play together. And Yeah, I mean, I think me, it comes down to, you know, I, I think the whole thing with the, – what's the best way to say it? NBA players are no longer willing to be the first star to come to a team. With the Golden State Warriors the way they are, and this all started with the Miami Heat, right? Like no superstar player is going to come and be your first star. They're going to have to come with multiple stars. And so a lot of this comes down to do Lonzo Ball and Ingram show themselves to be not part of pieces that can be traded into superstars, but part of pieces that can bring superstars. Because if they do show that and you couple it with this cap space, the sky's the limit. I mean, to touch on the Knicks quickly, I think, look, I actually think what the Nets did is defensible because what Billy King did to the Nets four years ago, it's horrifying. He, <laughs> he took their cupboard and he emptied it and then he lit it on fire and then he rebuilt it and then he lit it on fire again and, I, and then he televised it. Like, they had no assets, right? And so the difference between the Knicks and the Nets is that the Knicks have Porzingis and draft picks and cap space and the Nets have no one. So they're just trying to get any draft picks, any assets, and they're saying, we know we're going to be bad for a long time, so we don't care absorbing your contract if you give us an asset. You have a bad, bad, bad contract, give it to us, we'll take D'Angelo Russell. Raptors, you have a bad contract, give it to us, we'll take Damari Carroll. The thing with the, the, thing with the Knicks is that, like, every decision that they made in this offseason was arguably dumber than the next, and, like, really in context, can only be analyzed to be messing with their fans. So it's like, <laughs> let's, just, let's just start with the draft, right? Like, let, let's, like, literally uh, uh, start with the draft. The skies open up, the clouds part. Somehow Dennis Smith Jr., who, when we look back on this, probably should have been somewhere in the top three picks in this draft, is there for you. He's sitting there at eight, and instead you take a – European project. I mean, he might be good, but I think Dennis Smith is going to be excellent. So starting there, even if everything else had happened to the, to, 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 to the Knicks after that, if you just kept Smith, if you just taken Smith, the most obvious thing in the world, or even Malik Monk or anyone except the guy you took, this looks a thousand times better. Then you get rid of Phil. The Knicks fans are like, thank God, we finally are rid of Phil. Everything's better. Oh, but we forget Steve Mills, who's the real architect of moron under under Dolan is still there. He's now the acting GM and he overpays Tim Hardaway Jr. for seventy three million dollars. That guy at most is worth forty million dollars and I hear all these any anytime I hear someone defend that contract, I'm just like the defense is always like he's very good. We just overpaid him by a little bit. Yeah, who exactly. Have you, he's who pretty have you, good. Who have you heard defend who have you heard defend the contract? There, not a lot of people. Not a lot of people. But anytime I see someone try and justify that he's twenty five years old, et cetera, the point is is just like 
there's multiple layers to that. One, what does he do for you? You're now paying Joakim Noah and Tim Hardaway Jr. $40 million a year for the next three and a half years, four, four years. On top of that, you put a poison pill trade ticker into, the, into your own contract to make sure that if you attempt to trade it, the team that gets him has to pay 15% extra on that contract. So you've made an impossible contract literally like untradeable. Then, then on top of that, if you just sat there and waited, Contavious Caldwell Pope, who's an exponentially better version of Tim Hardaway Jr. and younger, and you could legitimately make the argument has a higher has a high ceiling, becomes available. You could have given him the exact same contract and absolutely signed him, and he could have been your real shooting guard of the uh, of the future. So he's there. And then I was bandying about with my best, best, best friend, essentially. Like, we were just making things up. Like, what could the Knicks do next that's dumber? And we were just making things up. And then they actually pulled one of the fantasy moves by trading a second-round pick for the assistant GM of the Sacramento Kings, who I would argue, other than, than the Lakers and the Knicks, have been the third laughing stock of basketball for the last three years. And, like, it's just well, – I think you, I think you were so- – I think you have summed up, and, and I was about to. And I'll, oh, and I'm going to go into the call after. I'm going to go into into, into the signing of Scott Emery in a second, but um, I think you've pretty much summed up all of New York, and pretty much how most of us feel. And for someone who doesn't root for the Knicks, quite enjoyable. For someone like Sean, who is a big Knicks fan, it is exactly what you said. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. One one quick quick. So anyway, so it's a matter of Seth. You're right. This is horrendous. I mean, it goes even beyond that to the caller's point. The the Knicks then go spend two years and five point eight million dollars on Ron Baker, who they could have re-signed for nothing at a minimum contract. I mean, it goes. Even Jake is crying. I mean. He feels my pain. Jake's crying. The, I dog is, the dog is barking. Ugh. Everybody sees this. But, but it, it, the call is right. I mean, the Knicks have done everything and anything they could have done to screw it up. Now, to his point about paying a second-round pick to the general manager for the general manager of I don't, the Sacramento Kings, let's, let's remember, Scott Perry was the general manager for the Orlando Magic three months before he was the before the Knicks traded for him, so it's not as if he's been on the Kings for all that long. And quite frankly, the Kings off season since Perry has been there has been quite good. He's mixed. I mean, they yeah, no, they, they drafted well, the it was they drafted the Andre Fox. They pick up George Hill. They pick up Zach Randolph. I'm not talking about the money aspect, but as far as the actual signings, those three pit, those three guys, not that bad. Uh, okay, I think that caller wants to add one last quick thing, so hold on. Well, All right. Okay, you want to add one last quick thing? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I guess just to quickly say on your point, because I, I did want to point that out too, exactly what you're pointing out. I think that even though he okay. hasn't been the GM of the Kings, I think the Magic have also been, I mean, you know, Bismack, Biombo. Yeah, I, I don't think that much, that's that much better. But I think the one question that I have to go into that for right you guys – the one question that I, that I had for you guys is that, like, I'm normally someone who's like, you should stick with your teams no matter what, but, like, why at this point? Like, like, they, we'll get they, and that's a discussion for Sean. I hate their fans. 
that's definitely a discussion, it's a discussion for I'll someone over alcohol. Yeah. Thanks for calling it. So, Thanks for calling anyway, it. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. why, why am I a the Knicks magic. fan? I mean, why am I a Knicks fan? Because I'm a Knicks fan for the same reason that Laker fans were Laker fans with Jim Buss. For the same reason that Yankee fans were Yankee fans with Howard Spira and with, and with uh, I can't remember, who, Gene Michael. For the same reason that Mets fans were Mets fans with how many GM Jim McElveen? I mean, how many GMs do I have to mention? You go through the litany of different teams. You grew up with these teams. I can't imagine not being a Knicks fan. I can't imagine not being a Mets fan or Jets fan. The Jets are going to go one and fifteen if I'm lucky this year. They're if going I'm negative. Lucky, they're going negative one and they're going negative one and seventeen. Yeah. Is my prediction. And that's fine. But, I'm okay with that, Seth. You yeah. know this. Yeah. I consider 2018 a lost season, except for Syracuse basketball. Hopefully. So I mean, yeah. the fact and, is. It's not like I'm giving these teams up. That's never going to happen. No, of course not. You never, you never give up these teams. But, you, you know, that was the thing that I looked into when they signed uh, the guy. I think his last name is Scott. I forget his last name. I think it's Emery from Sacramento. And he had been there for six Perry, months. And he was assistant GM in, in Orlando, Scott Perry. And look what he did there. You know, it's not like, he, you know, he drafted Mario Herzonga. You know, he drafted Eldred Payton. He drafted Aaron Gordon. You know, these are not – these did not end up being being phenomenal picks. He, as, as, our, as our caller in, as our, as, our, as our lone fan called us, uh, you know, they signed Biombo, which was for $18 million a year, which seems silly when you had Vucevic. You know, it's not like he's done an enormous amount to justify – Becoming the becoming the, the becoming the GM of the Knicks. So well, let me ask let me well, ask you this, Seth. We, if you're are the Kings in a better situation it, since the last three months than they were before the last three months? Yeah, but I'm not sure it was the, it was him that did it. Remember, he wasn't the GM. Vladi Divac was. So I have no idea what he did versus what Divac did. Or versus sure. what uh, Randaviv, the the owner did. Although I don't think he's as as is involved, you know. So I I don't know. But you know, coming from Orlando Magic, the Orlando Magic to the Sacramento Kings, it's not exactly going from the Golden State from the Golden State Warriors to you know the Houston Rockets to whatever. It's not exactly a bastion, no. you know, uh, of winning. So, so I'm Scott not Perry, sure if he's the answer. Look, you're never sure anybody's Sorry? the answer as long as James Dolan is there. I mean, look, at the end of the day, James Dolan's the problem. It's not been the general managers. And you can blame it all you want on Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson never wanted that job. I sincerely think he oh. never wanted that job. He turned it down, turned it down, turned it down, turned it down. And then James Dolan said, I'll give you the job for five years and $60 million. Seriously? You're going to give me $60 million to work from L.A. half the time, work from New York half the time, and just put my imprints on this team? I don't know anybody in their right mind that turns that down. He didn't want the job. No. So no, he look, just regardless, too much not to take it. 
regardless of whether he wanted a job or not, you know, once you sign, once you sign, you know, that is, that is your, you know, you, once you sign the contract to work to do this, you know, the responsibility that goes with it. You do. So we'll see, we'll see how it plays out now that it's, you know, finally a pretty frantic free agency season is done. Um, and we're kind of in the dreads of, we're uh, truly in the dreads of summer right now. I think rookie rookie camp well, starts next week, I believe. Um, for the you NFL. saw what David Harris's comment for the NFL. You saw David Harris's comments yeah. today, by the way, right? David Harris, David Harris, not Harris. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. that he was going to sign. He was going to sign with the Patriots no matter what. I want to get back to Kim Kleister's first. Before we move on, okay. Get back. So Kim Kleisters, I suggest you look YouTube Kim Kleisters. So when we think of the when we think of the Wimbledon, we think of what pomp and circumstance, right? Everything is mm-hmm. is tidy tidy and and blah 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 blah, right? So Kim Kleisters was playing, I believe, a charity match. With three other players, she was playing a. Um, oh, is this when, she, when adult, the person from the fans, one of the fans, come in? Yeah, the fan. Yep, yep, yep. That's exactly what it was. And I got to give it up to Kim Kleisters and the rest of Wimbledon for showing a sense of humor, because if you haven't seen it, I suggest you do and YouTube it. It was one of the funnier things I've ever seen on a tennis course, and so you understand what I'm talking about now. Funnier than watching you hit. Dude, I got some points off you. You got nothing to talk about. Nothing. Nothing. Keep talking. Got nothing. Anyway, that being said. So, um, anyway, so so I assume you saw it. Yes? Yeah. I knew it happened. I don't think I saw it, but I knew it happened. Okay. I I would suggest you go see it. It It was quite funny. But we are in the dog days of summer, and last week we had the all-star hitting the all-star home run contest. And once again, because of supposedly because of the all-star home run hitting contest, Aaron Judge has all of a sudden lost the ability to hit, and he's gone through a slump. and And the the word is it's because of the home run hitting contest and how he changed his swing. Do you buy it? Do you not buy it? What do you think? I think it's a bunch of crap. Don't buy it. I think it's a bunch of crap. It's been I'm pretty sure he hasn't forgotten how to hit. It's been a bad week. But you know, we'll see how he had a home run taken away for it by Bradley Jr. Um, we'll see how it plays out. Look, whatever he does, he's already wildly exceeded any expectations that people had for him. So, you know, we'll see now that he's kind of the center of attention. We'll see how he handles it. It's asking a lot from a guy from a rookie who's 22 years old. So, you know, playing in New York. Completely what? I completely agree. I completely agree. I think it's blown completely out of proportion. I think Aaron Judge is having one of the best rookie seasons since Kevin Moss. Oh, man. I think you going to say since Fred Lynn. Or Cal Ripken. No, Fred, since Fred Lynn won the MVP. I don't, I don't think I, know. I don't think Aaron you know what, Aaron Judge has had a great year. Well, if you want to go there, you go to Ichiro if you want. But I don't think Ichiro was twenty eight years Judge, old and had played in the Japanese league for ten years. Let, 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 come on now. 
No, the best rookie year of our lifetime, and I mean, it was barely our lifetime, was Fred Lynn. But here's the thing. At the halfway point in the American League, at the All-Star break, who was your MVP? Was it Aaron Judge? Yeah, it was certainly an an argument. Yeah, I I would agree. It's Aaron Judge or Aaron Judge or Jose Ramirez, one of the two. Yep. I'm with you. So, yeah, to say, to say he, it, it, since Kevin Moss is, well, I mean, I suppose, I guess it's, a, it's kind of a dig, but kind of funny. Kevin Moss, yeah, I believe, is now a financial advisor out in California. Who knew? <laughs> so, so did, so did you end up knowing the name of the woman who won the women's tennis, the women's women's tennis? I don't know who won the women's Wimbledon. I know she beat Venus Williams, which was kind of bad, which I didn't exactly like. But I have no idea who actually won it. Yeah, she. Her name is Mugazaga. She's Spanish. She won or the what, French what? last year. So actually, I think it was Murasaga Mugazaga. Uh, okay. She won the French Open last year, so she's gonna. I think top five now. But, uh, and again, all I care about is Kim Kleisters. And all you care about is Kim Kleisters. All I care about is pretty much we may have our sportsman of the year already, and it's in the season, in July. Because I'm not sure anyone's dad? beating out Roger Federer right now. I don't think anyone's beating out Roger Federer. The guy was supposedly done. You know, on the backside of his career, wins the wins Australia. Wins Wimbledon in the most dominant performance possibly ever, not losing a set. And now he's going to be with Djokovic hurt, Federer, uh, Murray hurt, Nadal. You know he's going to be the he's going to be the the, the big time favorite to win the U.S. Open. And suddenly you're looking at him winning three out of the four Grand Slams in a year where they were expecting him to finally kind of take a step back. No, I don't. Th- I, I think for all intents and purposes. You already have your sportsman of the year done, and we're in the middle of July. Well, can you make the – look, we talk about this all the time as the best of all time. The best of all time means a lot of longevity, right? I mean, we've always said that you can't ever say that Sandy Kopax was the best of all time because he only did it for eight years. You can't say that – uh, Grant Hill is in the best of all time because he only did it for five years. But here we have Roger Federer, who we believed, as you said, was on the back end of a career making a comeback. And a comeback that you could say best even his pre-comeback performances, his early bird performances. So is he the best of all time? You know tennis far more than we I do. I talk about Nadal. I talk about Sampras in there. I talk about Macro in there. You could talk about Don Budge in there. Yes, I am going that far back. Do you really do about players, Don Budge? Well, you know, Don Budge won the first Grand Slam. So you can't really take Don Budge out of the equation, can you? Winning a Grand Slam. I'm, I'm mentioning Grand Slam winners. You got Rod did, Labor. Did you, and he, he did not win he a won Grand it, Slam. He won it twice. Rod Laver won the won, a, won the Grand Slam twice. Oh well, then I put Rod Laver in there. Okay, sorry, then I'm yeah, missing. But that. the problem so is you put Rod La- the problem is that professionals weren't always playing in these tournaments, so it's a little misguided. Um, okay. I think you can argue. Uh, I think you can argue 
Federer. I think it's a very reasonable argument. I think you can order. You can argue Nadal. Nadal is unquestionably the best the best clay court player of all time. I would probably take Sampras simply on grass over Federer, although I think it's an extraordinarily close argument either way. But I think for all rounds, I think at this point, I think I think you have to go Federer. Um, he's 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 won all four titles. You know, he beat the French. He won the French when Nadal wasn't there. Um, in the same way, his game is not suited for Paris. Um, but he's made a couple finals, which is more than Sampras ever did. He did win one, which Sampras never did. So I would probably have I would probably have both Federer and Nadal over Sampras. But it, it, it's it's such an interesting argument because they're such they're such different players, and it should be a really fun uh, U.S. Open in August. Well, I mean, isn't that the best part about tennis is when you go from – there are different styles, right? I mean, you, you're you looking at – if you look at baseball, right, you have your your Pete Rose from your Babe Ruth from your Ichiro Suzuki from your Ty Cobb, right? So different styles of play. So comparing them is kind of hard to do in general. And I think tennis is very similar in that you have different styles, but you – unlike baseball where you don't have individuals playing against each other, you do actually have that in tennis. So Nadal has played Federer and Sampras did play an early version of Federer. If I believe, if, if I'm correct and correct, again, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm just jumping age brackets here, but I believe Sampras's end was Federer's beginning. Am I wrong here? Yeah, Federer actually won his first title, but his big match was he beat Sampras in the quarters. Um, that was okay. kind of the end. Of, that was well after Sampras's prime, um, and right at the beginning of Federer's. Okay, so they did play, although not at obviously not at the primes of their career. So yeah. you can make the case that these guys did play each other. So you have a relative. Um, bearer of concept of how they played, how you can compare the two, because they did play each other. And Nadal and and Federer, you have their whole careers. I mean, they basically have played against each other all of Nadal's career, correct? Yeah, they're, they're, for all intents and purposes, they're, uh, they're contemporary. Careers overlap. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're the contemporary. the closest to Closest to that with Sampras is um, who, while a great player, was not because he didn't really have the mental fortitude earlier in his career. Seth, we can't hear you. Seth, we can't hear you. Okay, I'll take off. All right, you're off speaker. I'm off speaker. Well, All right, so who were you comparing Sampras to? Well, his greatest contemporary was Agassi. Right. Agassi. But Who's not Agassi in the discussion of the greatest player ever. No. Um, he didn't have the mental fortitude early in his career. Until, you know, he was so up and down. And Sampras beat him for the five, four out of five finals in Grand Slams. Um, but when you think of one, it's, tip, it's typically who you correlate the, with, with, with the, on the other. So I would probably go Federer and Nadal, but it, it, I, honestly, that race for greatest 
as you said, McEnroe, as great as McEnroe was, he's not in, I don't think he's in this discussion, having never won the French, although he blew it against Ivan Lendl. I don't, you know, Borg never won the U.S. Open. I think to be considered the greatest of all time, had to have won all four championships. Um, I, I just, I don't think you can make the argument without it. Um, because so, it shows how well-rounded you are on a variety of surfaces. Yeah, Don Butch, so welcome this in. is like, I don't know if you saw, yeah, this is like the Don Hudson argument on the MMQB all-time draft. You know, Don Budge was great, but it's not even like he was in the 60s where I know people who saw him play. And Don Budge, I believe, won, won in 1939. So that's well before anyone I know played tennis, followed tennis, watched tennis. So it's 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 a pretty difficult it's a difficult argument to make just to put it that way. At least on the women's side, it's a little bit easier. So well, I think on now, the women's side, we've already established Venus is the greatest player of all time. Uh, sorry, Serena is the greatest player of all time. Yeah, that would be that would be my feeling. Now, did you? Uh, now, I'm a huge fan, as I believe you are, of MMQB of Monday Morning Quarterback. I did. I did. Did you see it? Yep. Now, I didn't go through every team in every draft, but did you go through this? I didn't did you go read the through every team in every draft. I did read the article on Monday. I suggested our listeners do as well. Um, what Peter King did was, I believe it was 20 GMs. Was it 20 or, or 10? 12. I'm not exactly 12. sure. 12 GMs. And he basically said to each of these GMs, who included Gil Brandt, and some of the most knowledgeable people in football history, and said, we're going to pick our all-time NFL teams in a draft. And the first player was Lawrence Taylor. I believe the sec- uh I know Mean Joe Green went in the top three. I, I don't remember if he went two or three. But he went two. Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice went in the second round. Don Hudson went in the he first did. round. Uh, Ray Guy went fourth. Ray Guy went fourth overall. These are just from memory, but he went fourth overall. And with Don Fouts, who was the the coach, well, supposedly the general manager, said, "If I have a good defense, I need a good punter." So he drafted Ray Guy in the first round, and he drafted John Stenerud, I believe, in the fourth round. So just an interesting um, mixture of players from him. And then he went and took almost every San Diego Charger known to man. I think you take that with a grain of salt. I was very surprised that Jim Brown went as low as he did. I would think that he would have gone before, certainly before a, uh, certainly before Ray Guy. But I, I would think he would have gone in the top three, but it seemed like that defense was winning it all. And, you, again, you don't win championships without defense. So I could see why. Were you surprised by any of the first? I mean, we should go through the first-round picks at least, and let me get those up. Yeah, I have them up in a right second. Um, okay, so why don't you Lawrence why Taylor, don't you name them all? Okay, Taylor went one, no argument. Best defensive player I've ever seen, probably the best defensive you've ever seen. Joe Green uh, went number two. I don't know if I would have gone there, but. He was considered the best defensive tackle, I guess, of all time, or right in the right in the argument, right there. Johnny Unitas went three. 
a little surprising. Um, I, I don't know if I would have had him. It's hard for me to gauge because I never saw him play. But he was considered prior to, I guess, prior to us following football, the greatest quarterback run with Otto Graham of all time. Um, Ray Guy goes fourth. I don't really think there's much need to discuss a punter going four. It's kind of like when Mike Vanderjack went, sec- went second in the second round in our first, my first fantasy league draft. It was kind of a huh? Wait, you had, um, him go, you, you had him go in the second round? We had him actually going in the first round, ninth overall. I'm assuming that person didn't win. Or did he beat you in no. the finals? No, he did not beat me in the finals, and he did not win. Okay, moving on. Okay. Anthony Munoz, five. Um, I'm, I'm pretty surprised. You know, Hall of Famer, great player, but I wouldn't think of him in the pantheon. You know, in the, as we talk about the pantheons, I've never heard his name mentioned there. Um, Jim Brown, who's probably the greatest football player of all time, at six. Reggie White at seven. Don Hudson at eight. Tom Brady at nine. Uh, um, at ten. I don't, you know, so if you're what I've been following since about 81, 82. I am baffled by Ray Guy. I'm baffled by Anthony Munoz. I'm surprised by Don Hudson because I don't know anyone who saw Don Hudson. To have him ranked eighth overall and have him above Jerry Rice genuinely surprises me. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I lost my train of thought. Who went right before uh, Tom Brady? Don Hudson. Before him? Reggie White. I was surprised by Reggie White. And maybe it's the fact that I don't appreciate Reggie White as much as he most people do. And the fact that as a younger lad, when Reggie White was in his prime, I did not watch as much NFC football as I did AFC football. And this is when you got one, you got two games, right? I there was no, there was no NFL package. Right. You watched your local team. The Giants watched the Giants game at one. The Jets game at four. Yeah, and look, the Packers weren't the big game, and the Eagles when they played the Giants, I watched them, but. For the most part, Reggie White was the best free agency pickup, the first and best free agency pickup of the first 10 years. And I didn't get to see him very much other than in the playoffs. Maybe I believe Reggie White's a little overrated. Maybe that's just me. Obviously, the experts had him in the first round. You saw a lot more Giants than I did. You saw a lot more of Reggie White than I did. Am I just downplaying the significance of Reggie White? It, I, I'm open to being convinced. Uh, it's probably not going to come from me. Um, he, he was phenomenal. Would I have put him as the number one defensive end of all time? No. I wouldn't have had him over Deacon Jones. I don't know if I would have had him over Bruce Smith. Um, you know, he was a, he was very, very I mean, he was excellent. He was a great player. Um, but his defense his his defense is um you know excuse me, his defense, I'm sorry. In Philly he had a lot of help with it with Clyde Simmons and Jerome Brown and Seth Joyner. That defense was awesome. Um, in Green Bay he kinda he was more of a leader. I think he got a lot of the accolades for his leadership. 
uh, as opposed to, for, not that his ability was lacking in any capacity, he was a, him and Bruce Smith were the two best defensive ends in the league for 10 years. But I think a lot of this reason he was voted so high, he was ranked so high, was because of his, uh, his leadership. Okay, I can, I can live with that. Um, I can. Now, I don't like Unitas that high, Tom Brady that high, and it's not the fact that they are – remember, this is drafting your best – the best team, right? You're in a GM role, the best team of, over the last 100 years. The, and the issue that I have is there are so many quarterbacks – so close together that Dan Marino went in round 10, I believe, and Montana went in like row, round five. And No, Montana, went, went, Montana there, went in the first round. Montana went the first round or Brady went the first round? They all did. I didn't see the last two. Went Brady, Otto Graham, Joe Montana, John Elway. And then Roger oh, Corbett was the first pick in the second round. Okay, so let me ask you. And then you, Peyton, Peyton that Manning was pick 20. Is there that much of a difference between, and I know Dan Marino went in the 10th. Is there that much of a difference between Joe Montana, Tom Brady, John Elway, Dan Marino, or Peyton Manning that you need to pick them in the no. first round? Right. And that's where no. I think it lacks a little bit. To me, if I, and look, I'm not, I mean, this would be a fun draft for the most knowledgeable people we knew to try and do. Um, you know, to me, I would try and go for what was, you know, looking through this, I have no issue with Taylor. One, Taylor was revolutionary. I probably would have tried to get a Jerry Rice in the second round. He was revolutionary. Deion Sanders, revolutionary. Guys like that, where there's a distinct difference to me, then, I mean, to be perfectly honest, as you said, you, 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 you know, you've mentioned these five, six quarterbacks in a row. Then it drops a few, it drops a few rounds. Is Gary Bradshaw? Now, would I have Brad, Bradshaw over Marino? No. Um, but in the, if I could pick, I mean, I'm just willing to eighth round. I could get Aaron Rodgers. Can I tell me Aaron Rodgers is not the level of these people? Of course he is. Or Brett Favre, or Sammy Waugh, or Brett Favre. I mean, these, Brett Favre goes in the, in the 11th round, in the 10th round. And Marino goes in the 10th round. The it's very hard to find truly distinctive players. Eric Dickerson, 12th round, 11th round. Randy Moss, 12th round. Like, these are guys, Rebus, 12th round. These are guys who are, these are Hall of Famers. Look, it's more of a fun exercise than anything else. I I don't think you can look at it as anything more than that. But, I mean, if you even look at the last round, well, the last round was all coaches which is interesting because yeah, Belichick was actually the tenth, the eight, the ninth coach, which I find weird. No, Belichick but, was the fourth coach and was traded for the ninth coach. There was a trade made in the, in the, in the coaches round. If you read the article. Ah, so Belichick, okay, Belichick I, I did was not realize. But the fact is you draft this and, and like you said, it would be very interesting to do with, with our friends but you draft this as if you were drafting in some ways a fantasy team because you have to gauge what the difference is between player A and player B, not necessarily 
the quality of player. So if I can get a Gronkowski in the first round, but I can't get another tight end for four more rounds of somewhat equal quality. And look, Seth and I are both fans of Greg Olson. So let's say Greg Olson is the second best tight end. And note to the Bate Isles, we will be going hard again after Greg Olson this year, after losing him last year. And we were very disappointed, even though we had a great run with Jason Witten. We will be going after uh, Greg Olson, assuming he signs a contract. Uh, The fact is, you have to gauge the difference between player A and player B for where you pick them in the round. So the fact is, if there's no difference, very little difference between a Dan Marino and a Tom Brady, I'll wait 10 rounds. I'll be okay with that. I'm not too worried about it. If the top 10 quarterbacks are all within a smidge of each other, I'll wait on my quarterback. And like you said, I'll go after, I'll go after a Deion Sanders. To me, I was thinking a guy like Ronnie Lott, who I really think was a generational player in the fact that he could play two positions. And I know that that was against the rules, but you have guys that can play both ways, right? And if you can play both ways, that means you're using up two spots. And that's okay, too. So... Again, this is a very, very fun exercise, and I would very much enjoy doing it, both for basketball. And, you know, basketball might even be more fun. There's only 12 guys that you're going to play on a team. We know enough guys that could do this. Maybe on one, maybe one day on the show we'll, we'll do a 12-round draft of 12 guys. I think that would be a lot of fun with Nabate Isles and crew at some point. Cool. So the yeah, fact is – Who could actually do that? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we could find – look, Laker fan, and we're going to call him Laker fan from now on because we never really got his name, and I'm sure he's listening. Right. Laker fan, you could certainly participate in this. You could pick Magic first, Kareem second, James Worthy third, Jamal Wilkes fourth, maybe George Mike in fifth, and you uh, about Norm Dick. and Jerry West and Kobe Bryant. Oh, yeah, those guys too. And don't forget, with your with your 12th pick, make sure to pick Lonzo Ball or D'Angelo Russell, since it seems like those are the guys that you're looking for. Yeah, Shaquille will go way before you. But anyway, but the fact is we could do that. And I think it would be just as much fun, if not, just as much, and we could even just do it within our lifetime. And it would just be as much fun in the last 40 years, because that way you eliminate the Bill Sharmans of the world and the George Mikans of the world. If they played the majority of their their time before we played, before we were born, then they're disqualified. And I think that's a good exercise. But it's something we I'm can definitely I'm think watching, about. I, I'm actually watching the video right now while we do, of, uh, of Wimbledon, which is extraordinarily funny. So, You're watching the Chrysler's video. Yeah, Chrysler's one of the most likable player on the tour. And it's not hard to see why when this, when this, is, when this is going on. Um, I do want to touch on Jamie Horowitz. We have five minutes. We don't have much, much of a chance to discuss it. Um, Jamie Horowitz came in from ESPN, kind of the leader of the shock talk you know, to kind of re- revamp Fox Sports, and within nine months is gone, partially um, due to a sexual harassment lawsuit. And also, I hated what he did to Fox Sports. Um, I hated what he did to the website. I hate there was not much of value that I thought he brought in. He demoralized the staff. 
They got rid of all the all the writers from Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman to Ken Rosenthal. It just, I found what he did hor- I found what he did horrifying. Um, forgetting, and again, I don't know the specifics of the sexual harassment, but as a as a as someone as a leader as someone running the, the running a division, I think what he did is he took back Fox Sports. He brought Fox Sports back ten years. Look, I don't have any disagreement with what you said. A lot of people lost their jobs due to Jamie Horowitz. And in no place did he really find, from ESPN where he made the network into the the argument network, as I like to call it, to go into the Today Show where he did nothing of value and then basically ruining the print journalism part of Fox I'm I'm curious to see where or if he winds up next, because good talent winds up everywhere, and you good talent finds jobs. And I don't doubt that if he is talented, he'll find a job. And obviously, he was at ESPN. I mean, as a producer, he made that network. Yes, the argument network, but they have ratings galore. But the fact is, I didn't enjoy any programming that he put forth, not one bit. So. You're losing the viewers. It, maybe I'm – look, Seth, you and I are getting out of that demographic real soon, which is up to 45, the major demographic for TV, 28 to 45. We're, we're closely approaching that. And maybe we're showing our old age in the fact that we just don't enjoy what ESPN and what Fox is throwing out there these days. On that note, we got about three no. minutes to go. I'll go first. Uh, tomorrow, my grandmother is going in for surgery, hip replacement surgery. She just turned 92 le- last week. I asked that good thoughts go out for uh, for my grandmother, Pearl Byer. You are the rock of my family, and um, I can't wish any more promising news than you coming out of this surgery and us going on another trip, going on a train ride. As I said to you the other day, we got bleep to do. So let's get this bleep done. So uh, good wishes to her, and uh, I hope you all send your good wishes as well. Yeah, uh, my best to Pearl um, and the Palmer family. And, you know, I talked with Sean last night about this, and, you know, we, we certainly, you know, Sean went out to Arizona to go see her uh, this weekend, he took her to Australia a year and a half ago. Uh, he's a, been a heck of a grandson to them. Um, you know, I've gotten a couple emails, a couple uh, IMs about, you know, my thoughts on the McGregor-Mayweather fight. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm going to tell you the same. Anyone who watches the show, listens to the show, the same thing I tell everyone who listens online, I don't give a beep. I'm not paying for it. I'm not renting it. I have no interest. I've never particularly enjoyed watching Mayweather fight. I don't, I don't think McGregor is anything spectacular. Um, and he's not a boxer. So I like MMA. I like boxing. I have no interest in seeing the two combined. You know, the, the press conferences, I haven't seen a thing about them because I literally turn the page on ESPN or I shut it off. I don't care. And the idea of paying $100, maybe this breaks. Maybe they just get three or four million people to, to pay for it. I have no idea why. I don't know who could find Mayweather, and again, I don't enjoy watching the fight, but even his biggest fans, I'm not going to say he's a fascinating or overly exciting fighter to watch. He's not. 
um, to see him fight a guy who's never boxed in his life. You know, credit to them for being able to pull this off so they can make, you know, 50, 75, 100 million dollars. But they're, they're not taking my money. I want to watch a fight. I'll watch Triple G and Canelo in September. For Sean Palmer, this is Seth Cameron's on the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show. We'll talk to you next week. See yeah. ya.